0: This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA Weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinkelement.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack drinkelement.com slash justinclimo.
1: The Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar. Our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa Noma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. And you'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at wines. 4Change.com, discount code CONTACTS at checkout.
0: Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klemmel. Welcome back to Contacts. We are joined today by Coach Tom Heil from Baldwin-Wallace University in Cleveland, Ohio. Coach, thanks for joining us. Appreciate having you here.
2: Happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: If you don't mind, can you share with us your background as a coach? How did you get started? How did you land your first job and any subsequent jobs and end up where you are now?
2: Yeah, I think I always knew that I wanted to do this probably once I got to maybe high school age, pretty early in my high school career. Once I became a college basketball player, I think is when I realized I want to do it at the college level. I think being a high school coach would be great, man. There are some great ones in Northeast Ohio, man. We are very blessed. but. Once I started playing in college, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this for a living. So it's scary because you don't know, like, how am I going to get into this? And I was a really average player, which frankly, I think helps me as a coach. I've been in just about every role as a college player, other than probably being the guy that gets to shoot whenever he wants. That was never me in college, but I had a great relationship with my college coach. I played for a great one. I was really fortunate that he's a very respected coach, does things the right way. And because of that, I actually got a GA job right out of college at our rival, which was Defiance College, which was also in Northwest Ohio. I played at Bluffton, Division Three school in Northwest Ohio. And our rival was Defiance. It's a really cool rivalry. They're about, I don't know, 35 to 45 miles apart. A lot of guys that played high school against each other. And it's, it's a really cool rivalry. Sold out gyms and it feels like a, a big high school game, which we don't get a ton at our level. When I was a player at Bluffton, I didn't get that atmosphere a ton. But uh, I was really fortunate. I was able to become a graduate assistant at Defiance at the time, right out of college. I was just turned 22. And I didn't know it at the time how lucky I was, man, but I was lucky. You know, I was walking into a position at the time, Defiance was structured, full-time head coach, GA. And, and that was it. We had some part time money. We had a, a retired high school coach that was a part time guy, but in the office every day was the head coach and me at twenty two. So I was thrown into the fire, and it was such an unbelievable experience. I've coached a lot of guys that have gone on to, to pursue, you know, college basketball, and I tell them that it'd be awesome to be a GA at Michigan or wherever. But It's just a different experience. I feel like I really got to coach. I was involved in every aspect of the program and recruiting. And I I don't know how you learn to be a coach without coaching. And I really got to do that. So I did that for two years. It was an incredible experience. I actually worked for two different guys and I loved every minute of it. And when your two years is up, you hope to find a full-time job. As a GA, I think I made $3,000 a year. They put you up in a house. It was a house that I didn't use the shower in. I showered at the locker room. I could tell you what kind of condition the house was in, but uh, you got a meal plan, you got a cell phone, like you're just living like a college kid, to be honest with you, still as a GA and then hopefully find a full-time job. And I was really lucky. So Defiance is a three-hour drive, two and a half hour drive from where I grew up, which was in Northeast Ohio, a different part of the state. And I got a full-time assistant job at at Baldwin Wallace. I just turned 24 and I was there for a while. That was five years and five of the best years of my life. I met my wife. I was really ready for the job. I was doing the same thing I did for two years as a GA. I had the best apprenticeship you can have before I had my first full-time job coaching, so that's a hard job to get first, like when you're really doing it. I I have an apartment. I can pay the bills, kind of. It was a really big deal for me, and it felt like my real start in coaching, so I was there five years. Unbelievable experience. If you ever want to coach in college, anybody that would, you know, happen to listen to this if anybody does, but who you work for is everything. Like everything. Every variable you want to evaluate when you're evaluating a college coaching job means nothing if you work for the wrong guy. You could be making so much money and you live in the best place and you got this. If you're working for the wrong guy, you're miserable. So, I've only worked for great guys, and and when I got to BW, I was with Dwayne Sheldon, was our head coach at BW for five years. Incredible experience, incredible influence on me. Basketball-wise, we were eerily similar in the way that we saw the game, maybe to, to the point where he was even a disadvantage. We didn't have a lot of diversity of thought when it came to the way that we saw the game, offensively, defensively, uh, leadership-wise, everything. Uh, unbelievable blessing. I lost my dad to suicide when I was 23, and when I was 24, I got the job at BW. And, and for me, that was a big deal. Dwayne's a dad and a husband and a great coach. And he did all of those things really well. And I got to see it every day. And whether I knew it or not at the time, once I became a head coach and a dad and a husband, incredibly beneficial. My journey, I was there five years to be a head coach. Hardest job you'll ever get your first head college job. Just really hard. And I was really lucky. And that's what I was, man. I was lucky. Timing is everything. I was just lucky. And uh, Defiance opened, head job after five years at at BW. And I was really fortunate. They hired me at at Defiance, the same place I was at GA. So I turned 29 when I got the job and told my wife, hey, this is, what do you think? When the job came open and we ended up in Defiance. I I married a great woman and and super supportive. And so we picked up and we moved to Defiance. And that was the start of, of my career as a head coach. I was only there one year. Unbelievable year. One of the best years of my life. I love those guys. We talk all the time. The reason I was so excited about the job is I actually got to coach a really good team. I, I took over for the guy that I was a GA for in my second year. Kyle Brummett was his name, who took a job in in Southern Indiana for, for a lot of reasons. A lot of them family related. Him and his wife were both from there. and I was able to take over for him and both of the guys I worked for my two years as a GA, they had run unbelievable programs. Like, I, we didn't have to, basketball being important to the guys I got to coach at Defiance, like, that was never an issue, man. These guys were all in, and, and I got to coach six seniors my first year, and it was just a really cool experience for, for me as a head coach. ton of challenges, obviously, but we had an unbelievable year, and very unexpectedly to make a long story sh- as short as I can make it. After the season, I got a call from Dwayne Sheldon, who was the head coach of BW, and basically he had a really good chance to get a high school athletic director job and was going to take it, was going to get out of coaching for some family reasons. This was six years ago. I'm in my sixth year. So six years ago, his daughter, his oldest, he's got three kids, his oldest was an eighth grader, about to enter high school. And he was faced with the reality that he was really never going to get to see her play basketball. As a college coach in our league, we play Wednesday, Saturdays, and a lot of girls' games are Wednesday nights and Saturday afternoons. And his daughter's an incredible athlete. She be, she's a sophomore right now at Ohio State. She started last year as a freshman, an unbelievable freshman year. She's, she's the real deal. She's about to have a huge sophomore year. She's like my niece, but I know I'm biased, but she's unbelievable. She scored more points in high school than I've scored in my life, like open gym, you, everything combines. He basically calls and is like, Hey, I'm going to take this if I get it, but you, you got to come back. And in an unbelievable turn of events, like I probably did a very poor job of articulating, like how ridiculously lucky I've been. My wife at the time was pregnant. I didn't know it when I got that call. So we got to move back to BW. We had our first kid and we were back here. We were close to both of our families, both of our families, my mom and her parents are within an hour of us. And we have our first kid, and we start our family, and I'm back at a place that, man, I he, Dwayne played at BW. His dad and his wife's dad played football for Lee Trestle at BW. His grandfather played football and basketball at BW. Like, I was hoping to be the next BW coach like 20 years from now. And I, I know that's a long-winded answer, but that's my journey. And how I got back to be at a place, now I was back as the head coach right before I turned 30, which even talking about it is hard to fathom how that was possible. Because I know great coaches who – haven't gotten lucky that are probably better coaches than 90% of people that are head coaches and they just haven't had that break or that timing or the connection or whatever they once you have kids it changes everything you don't just pick up your life and move like you would when you were single I've just been really fortunate man I've been really blessed I'm at a place that I absolutely love and I'm super proud to be the coach here
0: when preparation meets opportunity you have luck and you were in the right place right time and prepared and ready and Good on you, as Danielle Stornetta would say. If yeah. you think about your one year at Defiance as the head coach and you're now six years back at BW, two different experiences, two different opportunities to step into a role after, let's call it a lifetime of preparation. You got to coach as a PA, which not everybody does. What did you realize Right away,
2: that you still had to figure out both of those. At Defiance, first head coaching job, man, moving one seat over, it is just incredible how different it is. Incredible, man. And I i don't want to sound like this old guy, parent, old school guy that I walked uphill both ways to school in the snow barefoot. I don't want to come off that way, but it's just a lot different when you become the head coach. And it's a lot like when My wife and I have the decision, do we want to start a family? When is that kind of going to happen? Not really much change for us when we got married, but once you have kids, you you make the decision because you know you're ready. You just know, and there's no way to really define it. You just know that you're ready. And we knew that we were ready to be parents and add that to our lives. And then it happens and you're like, whoa, you have all these ideas about how you're going to be as a parent. I bet we said some really dumb stuff about what we were gonna do and how we were gonna do it. And then we actually had kids and we're like, man, survival mode one day at a time. And I actually think that's really similar to becoming a head coach and your first time, your first job. So the, the volume of decisions I think was the thing that uh, shocked me the most. I had a ton of responsibility with Dwayne, a ton, as much as you can have as an assistant coach. We were like family, he trusted me, I had a major voice, games at practice, everything, recruiting, everything that we did. I had a major voice, sometimes even a bigger voice than his, depending on the time of year. But the volume of decisions, I'm not making decisions as an assistant. And and, and sometimes with scouting specific stuff, like I had the freedom to maybe decide the way that we were going to guard ball screens, that kind of stuff, because he trusted me with that. But the volume of decisions that he made, that I didn't realize. And part of that makes me almost look back and be like, man, how are you so unaware of that? But you can't be, you cannot be. It's like explaining to somebody that's not a parent what it's like to be a parent. Like you just can't do it. So while we were ready to become parents, we didn't learn how to be parents until we got the job. And it's the same way as the head coach, I think, as far as the decision-making goes. And I've always felt like I'm a leader and I've always led. And that first year, that challenge of understanding and and having a mental stamina to understand how all of those decisions have to be consistent from the philosophy and the way that we're going to do things perspective. Like you can talk about that stuff all you want. You can, whatever, it can be on paper, but until you're making the decisions, it's tough. And I felt a lot of pressure because I had a great team, man. I love those guys. We had a chance to be really good. You know what? And we ended up being really good, but it, it didn't just happen. We, that year, man, we started two and two. We started two and oh, we beat a top 25 team was a huge win. Then we lost two in a row. I'm not coaching great. I don't have a great feel for what's the recipe. And I also don't feel like we have a lot of time to figure it out. Like, I need to figure this out. What's the recipe? Like, how do we win? What is it for us? The recipe, I think, is a little different for every team. And we went right before Christmas break. We went and played a team we were significantly better than and played terrible, terrible. And I think we were three and three at the time. I might be wrong, but I think we were three and three. We score with five seconds, they, I'm calling a timeout, like basically grabbing the guy Hey, timeout, man, we set up our defense, we go up one, and they just decide not to give it to me, and thankfully, they missed it the buzzer. But we lose that game, we go to three and four, and I'm going into Christmas. I am terrible at this. What am I doing? I'm screwing it up pretty bad. But we didn't. And we came back from Christmas from that point on, and we really figured out who we were and we rolled. And one of the things in coaching is like, it's really easy to remember what we did at the end of that year. We were undefeated at home. We were tied for the conference, but we hosted the conference tournament. We won the conference tournament and went to the NCAA tournament. We beat the defending national champs in the first round. That was voted the number one upset in the last 10 years of the tournament. Wow. And listen, rightfully, these guys were absolutely incredible. They were loaded, but it's easy to remember that. But I always try to remember being three and three and almost losing that game. And because we're at that point so many times in our season. And I think that first year, man, that roller coaster, that was the first time I'd I'd gone through that as a head coach. So it was an incredible, I think, learning experience for me. So that was the biggest challenge when I got the defiance job. I think the biggest challenge when I came back to BW was different. I was taking over for somebody who I love. I don't know a better way to say it, but I I love him. He's a family to me. And it meant a lot to me to try to do a great job. And I had to actually stop thinking about what would Dwayne do? How would he do it? And I wasn't necessarily consciously doing that, but that my thought process a lot of times was he was my mentor in life. So when I make a decision as a husband or a parent, and especially as a coach, I had to get over that, man. I had to just get to the point where, you know what? I'm at my best when I just do it my, my way. And this is how we figure it out because this is what works for us. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else does or how they do it or what they think, because
0: we're the ones
2: here and the variables are our variables. And we need to figure out the best way for us to do it. So that was actually my biggest challenge. I think when I got back to BW, just because of how much I respected him. And and I think that took some time. I don't necessarily know when that happened or how it happened other than I'm pretty introspective, trying to figure that out. Like, how do I be my best? What are the barriers right now from keeping me from being my best? And I felt like that was one. Mm-hmm.
0: In both of those situations, the circumstances are different, but your challenges are similar in that at Defiance, you have this really good team, you have these expectations, you have this opportunity to be good, and you're not really getting an opportunity to even put your imprint on start building from scratch because there's this pressure hanging over your head that you probably forgot to even be present in the moment and figure out just how to enjoy it and then as you go to bw there's other pressure that's different that is internal that Mm -hmm. you got to live up to whatever expectations you've built in your own mind that your mentor has for you and you're constantly chasing that until you get to the point where I I just got to do what's right for me. And that's so hard, especially for young coaches to figure out their authenticity when they haven't necessarily had that opportunity. And I think that has been a consistent theme, which is, Hey, your mentors are there for a reason. And you're not supposed to try to be like them. You're supposed to be your best self. And, use what you can, but if that model doesn't fit you, then you're gonna be a phony anyway. So it's interesting that you bring that up. On that note, as you figured out what your approach is, as you figured out how to play and how to coach in the way that best fits you, what is the best thing that you guys do in your program that you would say has the largest ripple effect on your culture?
2: And that's really hard. I think about it a lot. Here's how I would answer it. I think we're at a place right now. When I hear culture, it just like makes me want to throw up. I think it's an overused word. I don't think people necessarily even understand what it means. And there are people that are really good talking about culture. But on a day-to-day level, we are dealing with people, right? Your culture is changing all the time, based on the people that are a part, every team is different. And we all have consistent and constants and non-negotiables about the way that we want to be. But here's how I see it. If I would say the best thing that we do, especially where I'm at now in year six, I've been with my assistant who took my, over for me when I got the defiance job. So he, we've been together for, this is year six together, he going on year seven at total is the understanding you win with people. And talent is incredibly important. I would just be flat out lying if it wasn't the first thing that we always evaluate is how good is a guy? Basketball skills, athleticism, those are always the first things that you evaluate. But we really try bring in Good people. And I don't have a laundry list of rules. I, we don't have a ton of expectations. I'll never be a coach, tell somebody how to live their life. I want all kinds of different guys. I think that's the beauty of team sports. We basically tell our guys, they have three expectations. We do as a program. You have to go to class every day. If I have to chase you down to go to class, it's going to be a problem. And you're just not going to make it. And and you're going to drive me crazy. And I'm not going to want to be around you. You grow up. Come on. Two, you have to be a good dude. And that's exactly how we say it. I know that's maybe not necessarily a most eloquent way to say it, but that's what I mean. You have to be a good dude. And if if we have to explain what that means, probably a problem. And three, we don't want excuses. We don't like being around people that are going to always make excuses. We try as hard as we can with everything we do. So when we fail, it's because we failed and we lost. I have a hard time with anything else. We fail all the time. We lose all the time. But if there's one thing that we've done, it's to the best that we can really try to bring in good guys. I think that starts at home. When I look at the parents of the guys in our program, I think they're great people. I think they've done a great job raising their son. I look at my wife and I as a parent, and there's a lot of things that when we go to games and I watch a kid's dad and mom in the stands, man, like they're doing it right. They're supporting their kid. They're not necessarily living through their kid and how many points he scores. They're just, they're doing it. Their kid handles themselves the right way. People say great things about him. We really try to place a value on that, and really, I'll tell you, my assistant Brian Schmidt, who's my full-time assistant, is incredibly good. But he is, I think, really good at keeping us focused on that, because new guys come into the mix all the time, and we get 15 films a day or emails. I don't know how many. I just threw out a number, but it's like you can always be like, oh man, this gets highlight tape. This gets highlight tape. This gets highlight tape. But if we don't know them. We don't know them, and and. We just stopped recruiting people we don't know. These guys that come in to the mix late. Wow, he's pretty athletic. We like him. He can do this. He's got the skill sets. Yeah, but we don't know him. And that, to me, is the most important way to have a, a good culture. Because culture is about people and how they interact. And... Who are we going to be and how are we going to treat each other when things are not going well? And if we really want to all make each other better, man, we got to be able to go through some tough stuff together. I don't know how you do that if you do it with bad people and continue on the correct path. Not a lot of clarity to that answer, but it's really, I think, on the people and, and, and the way that we try to evaluate that when we recruit them. Now, it's really hard, right? It's not a perfect science. It's like evaluating a guy's talent, man. We're wrong so often. It's unbelievable. And we can afford to do that, I think at our level, because I'm not offering a kid a full ride, but, and then some guys that maybe they don't check the certain boxes of the measurables talent-wise. And then you put them out there and you're like, this kid is going to help us. And I think that's really hard, but that's, to me, with the way that we want to do things and we want to treat our guys like adults, man. And we do because we have good guys. We're not here to babysit guys and make sure that they get up and go to class, is that my job? We're
0: at a, is a great school. If you can't get up and go to class, you ain't going to make it here.
2: So I would say that that is what we try to do.
0: I think you did answer the question. Listening to what you offered is you have non-negotiables in who you want to surround yourself with, which ultimately has that ripple effect on your culture. You take care of the teaching culture during the recruitment process, during the selection process, which then makes it easier to live out on the back end. And I think often when you're younger and you're still figuring out whatever your core values are as a coach, often, let's not call them sacrifices, you're making concessions for certain things as you figure out what hill you're going to die on. Right. And it sounds like you figured that out. And that's been really successful for you. That's the answer is figuring out what's the hill you're going to die on and be consistent throughout. And that's what you said. And that was great. I don't know how much opportunity as a college basketball coach, you get to step outside of your daily routines to watch other sports, to watch Mm -hmm. other teams as you go and evaluate players. But I'm always Mm -hmm. curious especially becoming a parent and figuring that out and then coaching your kids in youth sports that maybe you've never even played before, but you know how to teach, you know how to coach. So sure, I'll be the guy, I'll do it. But I'm always curious what people learn as they watch or coach other sports Mm -hmm. or even their same sport, but other people. What have you been able to steal? What have you seen that you really like?
2: Yeah, I watch a ton and I love basketball. But I probably don't watch as much basketball as a lot of basketball junkies. I'm not going to go on like ESPN Classics and watch a basketball game on a Saturday during the fall. Like I love watching football. I, I enjoy watching baseball. Some of my best friends. We went to lunch today, man. We do whenever we can. Our baseball staff, our head and our assistant baseball coach, me and my full time assistant, the four of us are really tight. Our wrestling coach at BW is a great friend, and so is his assistant. Our football staff, right? Our women's basketball staff is incredible. We have a great women's basketball program. And you go down the list and I learn a ton from them. And honestly, that's where I go. It it might sound funny, but the conversations that I have with our wrestling coach, it's like wrestling, wrestling, basketball. Are they even similar? Yeah, they are. And I think he's outstanding. And same with our baseball coach. So I will learn a ton from going and watching them. I'm out there all the time in the spring. I'm at football all the time. And I watch that stuff all the time. And I'll tell you, here's what I think about football. I think football coaches are the best teachers. They do a really good job, I think, of clearly defining the expectations as far as technique goes and being very detail-oriented at helping regardless of maybe skill or athleticism level, a guy be able to demonstrate consistently the technique to the best of his ability, whether that means he can get out on the field or not. I do think that football coaches do a great job of that. I learn a lot watching football coaches operate within that realm, right? Watching the offensive line coach coaches linemen. I love that stuff, man. I think that's a big deal. Our baseball staff, and I don't know if they take maybe a different approach, but, very much like a player development approach to what they do. I think very progressive in some of the things they do with their pitchers and like some weighted ball throws and some things that are becoming very popular now. But they've been doing it for a while. Same with their hitters. And just watching that, I enjoy. They'll sit there all day and have groups of hitters come through for 14 hours, man. They got a bazillion guys at Division Three baseball. And we, our baseball team is really good. I love watching that. And, and I think actually that approach has a really impacted the way that I view our jobs. That's the hardest thing about being Division three basketball coaches. We don't have that time in the fall or spring to do those type of workouts that they have at the Division One level. And we're also not staffed the same where if I'm an assistant in Division One, maybe I've got three or four guys that are like, my guys. And these are the guys who are my responsibility to get better every day. Brian and I are the two in the office, and we coach everybody. But our plan moving forward is to take a more developmental approach, kind of like our baseball staff does, outside of practice. And almost shorten up practice so there's less skill stuff in practice. Because I think you get to a point during the year where you're just like, that's a shooting girl, and half the guys I'm watching, I'm just like, oh, we're not getting anything from this. We're just, we're just going through the motions. It's February. Like, why are we doing this? We, we don't need to do this right now and taking that development stuff outside of practice. I think it's way more effective. It's way more work, I think, for the coaches, but the ability to be like Brian and I both with a group of three and the attention they get and the attention to detail and the value and quality of those reps are so much better than they would be if I'm going ball screen breakdown on one end with half the team. It's just not the same. So I learn a ton from other sports. That's, something that I am pretty passionate about. And you can learn from everywhere, man. I think great leaders have great systems in place. They're great communicators and they're very even keel with their ability to evaluate the temperature of people and and what they need, if they need kicked in the butt and if they need a pat on the back. And you see that everywhere. I see that at the gym I work out at man. I work out at a great gym. Really it's like my home away from home. I was there tonight and it's a huge part of my life to be honest with you. And The owner is a great friend of mine. He he played football at BW and and he's outstanding at it. Pete Taylor's his name, Roaster Barbell's the gym. And so I, I get that there. And there, I'm not the coach. I'm not the boss. I'm one of 150 members, like, or whatever we have. That's a really cool dynamic and a big part of my life.
0: Well, let's dig into that for a second, because that's something that as you start to flip the role of teacher and student, in that capacity, you are the student, you are the learner. And he's the coach. What have Mm -hmm. you learned about yourself as a learner that was almost like a light switch for you that made you think differently about how you coach your own athletes?
2: Great question. And here's how I would answer it. I'm still, I'm only 35, right? I'm not that far removed from my playing days. But the further you get removed from your playing days, and I actually think that when you become a head coach, especially, the further those years as a head coach start to add up and you become longer time frame from being an assistant and then even longer from being a player it's really easy to forget what it's like to be there to be in those shoes and I'm in those shoes at at, at, you know the gym that I go to and and that's a really cool thing I think for me and I think authenticity is the number one most important part of being an effective leader you have to authentically be who you are and And I I do feel that way. I do feel like I am that way. you're going to kind of, what you see is what you get with me. And I love that role because when I'm in that role, we're like, I'm being coached and corrected and, and advice is being given to me from somebody that I really respect. How do I take it? I take it great because I think it's coming from somebody that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, incredibly knowledgeable, works incredibly hard, incredibly hard. Him and I have very similar lives. Mm -hmm. and the passion that we have towards him, his business, and me, our program. Mm -hmm. And because of those things, I'm really coachable. I feel like I am. So when I walk away, and maybe I'm going and putting my other hat on, which is basically every other hour of the day as a coach, you evaluate, all right, who do I think is not that coachable? Now, because I just was on the other side of it, the lens changes that you see it through a little bit. It's okay, maybe it's not actually a problem with them. I'm coachable because I think he's really smart, really cares. I have tremendous respect for him. Maybe it's the relationship. Maybe it's got nothing to do with, I'm just expecting this guy who's a freshman to be super coachable. One, he doesn't even know what that means. Two, he doesn't even feel like he really knows me, which has sucked with COVID, to be honest with you, because the relationship piece, man, like sitting here over Zoom, it's just not, it's not the same. And so I think that's where it's really helped me because I do feel like we're a relationship driven program. It is about the relationships. And my assistant is a tremendous example of that. And our relationship is really special. We're like family. And I think it's the same that extends with our players. It really does help me. And and I love to do it. I love to train. So it's easy for me to go. And it's a big part of my day and I make it happen, man, no matter what. Yeah. But I get a ton as a basketball coach and a leader, I think. It's incredibly valuable to put yourself in those situations, right? Hey, man, let somebody coach you and see how you like it.
0: It's funny because I've never asked that question. And as I asked it, I'm thinking about myself and listening to you going, man, I need to take some lessons so I can get in that. And I was thinking, I was like, actually, no, I did some stuff over the last couple of years where I was taking some one-on-one Pilates classes to to deal with some chronic issues I was trying to get right in my mechanics and realized about myself. When she would tell me to do something, I would have to have her manually put me in the position so that I could process it and understand it. And it was just fascinating to learn that about myself. I don't do well with specific auditory instructions all the time and made me think, and as we're discussing this, okay, what are each of our students? What are their learning preferences? How can we flip the role? put ourselves in their shoes and maybe better serve them. We're not going to get an answer right now, but it's something that I think we should all be curious about And as we discuss that, how has your approach changed throughout your career to coaching?
2: Yeah, that's a great segue because I think the longer you do it, most of us are wired the same. I think we're all very driven to get better. And I bet you feel this way. Sometimes I think back three, four, five, six, seven years ago when I first became head coach, and you think about some things and maybe your approach and the way you did it or the way you taught that you're just like, God, man, like what was I thinking? That was a terrible idea. But unavoidable, I think if you have the right mindset. In seven years, I'll probably feel the same way about right now. But my approach, I think, has changed in my ability to – evaluate and understand that if I'm having a hard time getting someone to do something that one I think they're physically capable of it's not like a lack of ability they can do it we're not talking about some ridiculously difficult to achieve task but if if we're having trouble getting them to to that point and we've done our work and feel like they're a good dude like they belong here and they are a bw guy they're not a turd. Turds have gotten through the cracks. We are not, and we have not been, we don't bet 1,000 man. You know, I mean, we try really hard. They usually don't make it. But we've had guys that I, I'm like, I mean, this is a, probably a him problem. But if it's a good guy who we really value, we want to be a part of the program, which is our whole team the way I feel right now about our team. It's a me problem if he can't get it done. If he's having a hard time executing whatever we're asking him to execute, it's most likely my inability to get him to do it or understand how to do it or teach it properly, or I haven't been able to reach him and connect the dots of why it's important. A lot of times I think that is it. They don't necessarily see the value in it. It's like you're telling me to jump to the ball, but look what I'm getting done And you're telling me I'm not jumping the ball. I'm getting a lot done. You're playing me. I'm getting stops. Like And so I think that's hard, right? That's a hard conversation. And so it becomes my ability to, I think, clarify, one, how it can be better, and two, why it's really important for our team, and then getting them to understand that. And that's almost always a me problem. That's a coach problem. That's not a player issue. And I think what that has led to is – maturity right as a coach and your ability to evaluate those things and not just maybe cast it away as somebody being uncoachable when in fact that's not necessarily the case it's my own ability to get the job done and, and to coach and then it's like forgiving yourself right okay like this is all part of the process and I just got to figure it out don't beat myself up because I have a tendency to buck stops to me right if you're the boss like you're the boss And you got to own some things that are even outside of your control. That's part of being the boss. But you also have to learn, I think, to understand maybe what a natural part of the process of every year and every team and and our job and what we do and learn to love that and forgive yourself when, you know what, I'm doing a really bad job coaching this kid, but I'm going to figure it out. And I think that's honestly still in the middle of that, man. And I'll be in that fight probably for a really long time, but uh, trying to get better at it every day.
0: The difference, however, is your acknowledgement of maturity and being able to look within, whereas at the beginning of the journey as a coach, and sometimes a lot later, if you don't get to that tipping point of what you labeled maturity and realizing that it's a me problem, most people are looking at the kid or somebody else and deflecting until they realize I can't control that. Let's focus on what I can control. And it seems like, yeah, of course we all still have work to do there. We don't know all these kids. It's a constant battle of trying to get to know them and what buttons to press with each one. But as long as you figured out, oh, let me focus on how I can serve. You're halfway down that path. If you could go back to the beginning, right? 22 years old, GA job. 26, I think you said, or 28, 29, whatever it was, when you got the Defiance job. And then as you became the head coach at BW, at any point along the path, what advice would you offer your younger self? And not what would you do differently? Because I think for all of us, what we have experienced shapes us. And I don't, I've never heard anyone say, I want to change this. But what advice would you have? to help you cut to the front of the line a little quicker and give yourself the keys to the test on a few of these things?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't change anything. So I love the way you phrased the question. I love where I'm at right now and I
0: wouldn't be where I'm at right
2: now if all these things that didn't happen in the last, you know, however many years, 13, 14 years. If I could go back to 22, and what I think I would tell myself is at that stage of my life, I was, and you have to be, consumed by coaching, I think, especially at that point in my life, but I was consumed by it and driven and consumed by winning and losing. And I don't know, I don't like saying this, but like, it's probably the truth, like probably to an unhealthy level. And it created, I think, an inability to find a place where I was really happy Regardless of the, that result, I was living and dying by that result and I wasn't able to enjoy it consumed by winning the next one. And I think that's a really probably a common trend. And, and what I would tell myself is to stop worrying about losing and, losing and to put my, the way that I evaluated my own success in my job and my ability to do it at a high level, which we all want, we all want to be good coaches. And everybody on the outside tells us that's about winning and losing. Everywhere you look, everywhere, every sport, the media, people get fired in professional sports for like, you breathe wrong and you lose your job. Everywhere we look, we're consumed by winning and losing, winning and losing. And I would tell myself at 22, that should be the last way you evaluate your success as a coach, especially at that point in, in my life. And you need to wake up every day, Because I did this anyway, but I would evaluate me doing a good job on, did I pour into the people in our program in every way possible, right? Was I authentically me? Did I make sure that those relationships that they knew, hey, man, this relationship is important to me, regardless of your role, how you play, blah, blah, blah. And hey, I'm pretty intense. So I'm going to get pretty pissed when you don't play well. But it has nothing to do with how I feel about you as a person. That would be how I would evaluate the job I was doing. And honestly, becoming a head coach, it's the same thing. It just happens all over again. And with an incredibly like volcanic level of pressure and whatever you want to call it, you put it on yourself. It doesn't really exist. We make that up in our head. That pressure on me is all generated probably between my own ears, but it would be the same way, man. Winning doesn't happen by chasing wins. Winning consistently doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. It happens by having a way of doing things being very consistent in the way that you work and the ability to come back the day after, whether you won or you lost and work the same way. That's how winning is done. And you need talent. You need some luck to do it at a really high level. I think you need really good people. I don't think you can win with with idiots in college. I really don't.
0: I think what you just pointed out and what you articulated was one, often we let, Other people's definitions of success get in the way of our own evaluation, which isn't healthy for anyone. And two, that you can't shortcut the process and letting the outcome dictate your feelings and your responses, and you're not pouring into the process, then you're never going to get the outcome you want anyway. And I think the lesson there, as you mentioned earlier, going 18 inches to the other seat is a huge jump even if you were extremely involved in the program there's just so much you don't know so how are you evaluating yourself on things that you're still learning and being critical about those things in a way that is let's say fair to yourself for what you're evaluating yourself on and that's hard right because there's so many things you get right you want to be critical you're a hard worker you think you can just outwork things and Sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes you don't have the horses. And if you can commit to, like you said, the process of showing up every day, no matter what that outcome was, eventually you're going to find success.
2: That would be another thing I would tell myself too, is the illusion that you're going to outwork everybody. And I think a lack of really understanding, man, how hard people work. Everybody's working hard, like working hard is not a separator. Being good is a separator. And, and just working hard, I mean, everybody works hard. Everybody recruits hard. We're at a high school game on Friday, man, and we were rarely alone. Everybody's out and everybody's there. And, and that's like the bare minimum to get in the door. It's got to be important to you. We love what we do, man. We're coaching basketball. It ain't that hard to work at this. It's fun. That stuff is fun. The recruiting I enjoy is fun. But I think there is a level of when you're naive and immature, oh, well, we're just going to work really hard. Okay, yeah. So is everybody else. So that's not going to separate you or your program. And, and the ability, I think, to stop looking around is so important in everything, right? In recruiting, and well, so and so got this guy. Who's this guy? Who's this? And, I, and we didn't recruit him. What should we have recruited that guy? You're pulled that way all the time. And I've gotten much better at not caring, not worrying about that. There's so many ways to play the game of basketball. Should we be doing this? Should we be doing this?
0: I think for the people that are just getting started who need to hear it, and the people that are more experienced and veterans that don't even need to be reminded, but are probably sitting there saying, yes, correct, please get that out to everyone, is that as soon as you stop looking around and comparing yourselves to others, then you're going to find a lot more internal gratification, external with your own group and your team, you're allowing yourself to focus on your growth and their growth. And the cliche comparison is the thief of all joy, but it's hard when other people are always trying to get a metric of your success. And it's almost like that. How many points did you score? That every kid's ever been asked. And it's like, hold on. Like I took four charges. I dove for three loose balls. I'm a ball changer. I'm not even trying to get buckets. Like what does that have to do with anything? So you're almost responding to the narrative that's being created around you. And at the college level, there's a little more pressure, but at the high school level for the most part and at the middle school level and at the youth sports level, nobody cares. And if you could just be authentic and pour into other human beings and make sure you're taking care of their needs, you're going to be successful. Period.
2: That's a big deal. And I feel that in coaching, there's a lot of people that I wouldn't say are happy and I don't necessarily mean that based on maybe their personality, but do they find joy in their job? There's a lot of coaches, even at the very highest levels, right? They're only happy when they're miserable and they're in that process and in that fight of the season. And I don't think that's any way to live, man. I really don't. If I didn't find joy in this, I wouldn't do it. I'd go do something else. My family is involved in everything we do. Our kids are around all the time. My wife is essentially like an assistant coach. It's a huge part of the program. If, if I couldn't integrate those things, I wouldn't do it. So now I have to split, like, well, dad hat, husband hat, Up oh, now I'm a coach. Like, that just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work for me that way. I can't be happy that way. Like, it all just needs to be integrated and... Yep. A lot of coaches that I don't think are happy and they don't have joy and that makes me sad and I think it's a journey that we're all on. We all suck at it sometimes. We get so consumed by things you know we're just competitive and but we have to there's got to be a way and a button or something that gets us back centered. I think kids really helps my ability like my daughter she's two and a half man she's so excited to see me. You think she really cares like how many deflections we had in the game like she doesn't really care. So That perspective, I think, is a big deal.
0: I will say this, and not everybody has the luxury, as we often have said, and you've heard it on other episodes of this, that once you have kids, your perspective changes. And so it's true because, like you said, your two-and-a-half-year-old could care less about how you guys played. She's going to have a big smile on your face and be excited to see you after the game, whether you won by 50 or lost by 50. And it changes your perspective. And even for those of us that don't have that luxury of having children to – put things in perspective for us. If everyone could just take away that when I stopped worrying about whether we won and lost games not only was I happier, my athletes were happier and we won more games. And it's one of those things where when you put your focus into being together as a group and spending quality time with each other as part of that team and part of that program and learning about the other humans in the room, the results will take care of themselves to the extent that they can based on the talent you have in the room. Do right by your staff, do right by kids, and you'll have a great time. And I think your point is taken, if you're not happy doing this, then you gotta find something else to do because you're impacting other people in the way in which they experience sport. And that's tough. Yeah, well said. So. Thanks for being here today. It's been fun to talk to you and catch up and looking forward to watching
1: you guys play. Thanks, man. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com.
0: This is Natasha McHill, recreational tennis player at the club at Pasadena and labor and delivery nurse. Ever feeling tired after a long day at work or after tough practice? Try Element. That's L-M-N-T for the energy you're missing in your life. It's sugar-free and filled with electrolytes your body needs for energizing power. Try it risk-free money-back guarantee with our special offer at Drink Element. That's lmnt.com slash Justin Climo. You only pay the shipping. What's there to lose? Power up. Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.